Um, we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Michaela, great job reading. You did great. Um, I have known David Hong for a little while now, and one of the first times I met him, uh, we had become friends, and we had the honor of uh, meeting Paul Goldschmitz, who's very tall. So Paul Goldschmidt is the first base, uh, baseman for the Cardinals. He's a big guy. He's a big deal. And um, I had the distinct pleasure of going to a baseball game with David Hong. And so we weren't in the best seats. We weren't in the worst seats. We weren't way up in the nosebleeds, but we weren't like right there. We were kind of in the middle. And um, every time Paul Goldschmidt came out, every time, now we had met him, every time he came on the field, David Hong sprang to his feet and said, Paul, 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 Paul. He never looked at us, not one time. Not one time. But David Hong would announce to everyone around us, I know him. <laughs> Sit down. Every time. Every time. It was wildly entertaining. It was wildly entertaining. And so I, the reason I tell you that is this. When David Hong talks about loving Jesus and that the Lord works through the daily grind, he really does. But the great thing about David Hong is he also knows the Lord. And sometimes in life, we come into those situations where uh, we are expecting God to turn around and do something amazing. We're expecting Paul Goldschmidt to turn around and be like, that's my boy David. That's what we want to happen. God doesn't always do that. But at the bottom line, at the end of the day, we know God, don't we? And so I hope that we all stand up with vigor in the daily grind to proclaim his word. And so that's why David Hong's up here this morning. And that's a blessing. You're a blessing. Amen. So today, we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6. And as we do that, we're going to be looking at a couple different areas of the Bible. And um, while we start that out, I want you to think about this question. How do you know if God is pleased with you? How do you know if God is pleased with you? Because this guy we're going to read about in 2 Kings, his name is Elisha. And Elisha is a prophet, which is a special fancy word. That special fancy word basically means somebody who speaks for God. So he hears the Lord, and I'm saying he hears like he really hears the Lord. Not like whisper through the trees kind of stuff like the movie, movies would say. He hears the Lord speak, and the Lord says, say this, and he says that. Now, there are some people who have been prophets that have heard the words, the words of the Lord and then said them wrong. That's not good. Never goes well. Um, there are other people who pretend to know what God says, and say things, and they get it wrong, and that never goes well, but somehow our culture seems to just sort of overlook that sometimes. Uh, this guy, though, is saying things, and he is spot on. And his name's Elisha, and Elisha is doing incredible, miraculous things, uh, things that historically you can go back and actually look at archaeological records and see that happened, which is amazing. And for those of you who are at the Wednesday uh, prayer meeting, we actually talked about this a little bit, which was, I think, just the Holy Spirit, because it was the same passage that I was getting ready for today, which is funny. Isn't that funny how God does that sometimes? And so we're going to be looking at verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 6. And what's happening here is Elisha is a prophet in, the, in Israel to God's people, and the people have walked away. They are wayward into idolatry. There's all kinds of things happening. Elisha continually is telling them, come back to God, forget those other things, love the Lord purely. And in doing so, also, because they have not returned to the Lord and because they are uh, in disobedience, the Lord has allowed other nations to come against them. And so in this case, the Syrian nation, which is really the biggest army in the world at this time, is fighting against Israel, and there's a lot of 
unrest, there's no peace, it would kind of be like living in the Ukraine right now, just for a modern day idea. Um, and so we're going to read this story of what happens with Elisha the prophet. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 8, here's what it says. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall I be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him, and thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself more than once or twice. And do you understand what's happening there? So the Syrian army is making a plan. The king's making a plan to attack the Israelites. And he's saying, go ambush them at this place. Surprise them there. But now the prophet will tell the king of Israel, he says, hey, don't go to that place. The Syrians are trying to get you. And so, in verse 11, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's the spy? There's a spy here. Verse 12, and one of the servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We're going to pause for just a second. So king of Syria says, This guy, Elisha, he's got to go. His powers or whatever he has, we got to stop this. So he sends, I mean, this is one guy, but one guy who has thwarted all of his military plans. Now, this is the king of Syria. This isn't like, you know, somebody trying to do a business deal to, to buy more, you know, donuts somewhere or something. Donuts are so good, aren't they? Anyway. So this is not, this is a guy who's sending an army places. And at this time, too, chariots are like tanks. We've talked about that before. They are terrifying. A chariot is like a tank. Not, very few people have them. This is a big deal. And so if he sends horses and chariots and an army out to get this one guy, this is a lot of people and a big show of force. That's terrifying. And so here they come into the city, and they surround the city by night. Could you imagine going to bed at night, and you're like, all right, Elisha, the Lord's with us. This is great. All right, good night. And you wake up in the morning, like, man, I better go get some water at the well. And you walk out there, like, huh, well, that's a lot of tanks. This is not a great feeling. And so he, the servant runs back into Elisha, the prophet, and he says, Elisha, he says, we're, we're surrounded. And Elisha says, don't worry, there are more with us than there are with them. And if you're the servant, you look at Elisha and you're like, where? This is not great. He said, don't be afraid. There are more that are with us. Than with them. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes, that is of the servant, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And so he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with the sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And so he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come on raids again into the land of Israel. Praise the Lord for his word. So Elisha prays, Lord, open the eyes of the servant. And the servant's eyes are open. What does he see? He sees the Lord's tanks. He sees the Lord's army. He sees the Lord's people in fire around Elisha, ready to fight for him. And he sees something that he could not see on a regular physical plane. That was not, he was not aware of it. He had no revelation of this. But Elisha saw it. And now the servant sees it. And then if that's not enough, Elisha prays a simple prayer. Please strike them with blindness. And what happens? Blind. Have you ever been in traffic and you're like, Lord, green light, go. Oh. You know? Or you've been, in, you've been in this work, you're like, Lord, I'm going to send this email. Let this not go crazy. Amen. Elisha prays, and an army goes blind. And then he comes out. The guy they're seeking to kill walks out in front of him and says, oh, guys, you're at the wrong place. And they're like, we're at the wrong place. It's like a Jedi mind trick. It's like, these are not the droids you seek. And he's like, these aren't the droids. Come with us. So where does he take them? He takes them right into the center of the army of the whole of Israel. So this is one, it's an army, it's a big group of soldiers, but they come in now into the stronghold of Israel where they are greatly outnumbered. And then the Lord, Elisha prays and says, open their eyes, please, Lord. And the eyes are opened and they go, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. So much to the king, should I just kill them now? What? I don't know what to do. And Elisha says, no, don't, don't hurt them. Feed them. Feed, this is, they're in the Ukraine right now. This is, we don't feed each other. And so the Israelites feed them and send them back. And the king's like, I'm not going to mess with that guy again. And for a long time, there's no more raids. And then things will change later. But it's amazing how this story is. Surely this guy, Elisha, surely he has favor with God. Is God pleased with you like that? Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Again, in history, and this is a famous passage which you'll remember from Christmas. But again, in history, there's going to be another time when we see these myriads of angels. This time, not fiery tanks of angels in the chariots and horses, but just myriads upon myriads. And these, in this time, is, this is the story when Christ is born. And in Luke chapter 2 is the story recounted how the Virgin Mary gives birth to Jesus. It's amazing. It's, it's miraculous. And God's own son has come to earth 
as a man. God himself has put on flesh to be one of us. The king of creation, the creator of all things, is going to be born and placed in a feed trough in a stable. And so God is going to announce this great birth that's happening. This is actually a custom of kings that whenever a son, a prince was born, they would have grand announcements like this. And so God does not spare any expense, if you will. And instead, he has a grand announcement. Let's read together Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Here's what it says. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. These are shepherds watching their fields by night. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then the angel went away from them into heaven and the shepherds were astonished. It kind of goes on, if I can paraphrase that. But what do the angels say? Glory to God in the highest. Could you imagine being a little shepherd out in the field? Nothing ever happens. Watching out for bears and whatever. Sheep. Sheep are dumb. Watching the sheep. And all of a sudden, the heavens open up. And an angel comes down and announces to you the birth of God's own son, the prince of the world. And the heavens open up and you see myriads upon myriads who are shouting out with a loud voice, glory to God in the heavens and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. But here's the question. Is God pleased with us? You know, Jesus will grow up, and he'll live a perfect life. Did you know that the Bible says that for God to be pleased with us, we have to be perfect? Leviticus 19 tells us that we should be holy as God is holy. Holy means completely set apart. Holy means that there is no stain whatsoever upon you. That's what holiness means. And Jesus, who's born and put in a manger, a manger is a feed trough, will grow up and be perfectly obedient to his heavenly father, but also to Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents. He will never get a spanking. He will never get a timeout. He never disobeys. He always does everything perfectly. His attitudes, his, his motivations, the secrets inside his heart, that if people knew what was in our heart, we'd be embarrassed. But if we knew what was in Jesus' heart, it would just be a glory to us to see this person who perfectly follows God. See, the truth of the matter is that there's only been one human being who has ever really found the pleasure of God. There's only been one person who has ever really known God to be pleased with him and everything he's done, and it's Jesus Christ. Because he was perfect. Not only that, but Jesus, you know, Jesus could have been a millionaire. Listen, you raise people from the dead, if you can... Make shriveled arms heal. If you can heal blind people, you can make a bajillion dollars. But Jesus had no place to call home. He went on the earth with rocks as pillows. In fact, the guy who was in charge of all the money that people would give him turned out to be the greatest thief and the one who would betray him over 
to his death. That's astounding. Jesus was one who gave life away everywhere he went. He was one who didn't take from people ever. He was one who always directed them toward God. He was one who wherever you would find him, you would, it was like the flowers smelled better when Jesus was around because he was perfect. But the Bible tells us that God in his infinite wisdom had a plan for Jesus. And Jesus' plan was to die a traitor's death. Not just that he would be perfect as an example for us, not just that he would be a great teacher, but he would be the sacrifice that would bring us peace. Because you see from the very beginning of the Bible, when man first fell, God said that the wages, what's earned by sin, what's earned by disobedience is death. It's not just spankings, it's not just bad feelings, it's not just guilt, it's death. Because God is completely perfect, because he is completely above us, because he's the creator of all things, because he is not to be trifled with, because he's the one who can make armies blind in an instant. This is the God who made the seas. This is the God who made the blood that flows through you and your heart to beat every day. And then he commanded us to obey him. And in our arrogance, we said, no, we'll do what we want to do. And the punishment for that arrogance is death. Because he is a king and he is a judge and he is a kind father. And in the kindness of being our father, he sent his own son. God himself became a man on our behalf. That he would live perfectly. He would obey God perfectly. He would uphold God's holiness. He would be holy as God was holy. And then he would also, in all that innocence and holiness, go to a cross to die a traitor's death. Now the Romans used crosses, we heard this morning in our little video, as a way to punish rebels. And so traitors to the state would be hung up on a cross and their hands would be nailed on that cross and their feet would be nailed to the cross. And the death on the cross wasn't bleeding. The death on the cross wasn't the beating that you took before. The death on the cross was that your body weight cannot sustain your lungs as you crush down on your own lungs and you suffocate to death. And it took days. It was a horrible, awful death because it was a reminder for all people, do not mess with the might of Rome. And God chose that death, not an electric chair. He didn't choose a, a lethal injection. He chose that death to put his son on a cross, to die a traitor's death because we are traitors. He took the perfect for the imperfect. He took the perfect holy one for those who are completely without holiness. We were filthy, we were stained, all of us had gone our own way. Every one of us had decided that we would be our own God. And instead, the Lord took his son and put him on that cross for us. Now understand this, when Elisha speaks the words of God, whose words do you think he says? It's his. When Elisha prays for his servant's eyes to be opened, to see the angels surrounding them and the might of God's army everywhere that couldn't be seen on a physical plane. Whose army does he see? It's Christ's army. Could you imagine being an angel in that moment when your king is being beaten and suffocated to death on a cross? Those armies are present and watching and with just a word, Christ could call out and bring them all out and defeat everyone. With a word, he can make an entire army blind. 
with a word. And that was just Elisha's prayer. Notice how great that prayer was. It was no special things. There were no lasers. There were no special effects. There was no special music. There was no fog. Elisha said, Lord, please strike them with blindness. And it was so. How much more could the one who created the earth with just a word have said one thing and all those armies of angels could have decimated everything? You know what had happened before? It happened in the flood. Because with just a word, the Lord said, I will destroy this earth. But he rescued Noah. You know what it looks like for the punishment of God to be directed onto one focal point? It looks like the sun turning to blackness. It looks like earthquakes. It looks like people raising from the dead, which all happened the day that Jesus was crucified. On the day Jesus was crucified, a Roman soldier looking up at Jesus said, surely this is the Son of God. Because it was so dramatic. And I'm telling you, that drama that took place, there were things happening in a realm beyond what we can see in the physical. Because in the physical, it seemed like just some measly man was being tortured and killed a traitor's death. But in the, in the spiritual sense, now all the angels are at bay waiting for that moment that they can save their king. And instead of uttering a word to say, come, he, held his, he keeps his mouth shut. He goes as a lamb to the slaughter without uttering any words to save himself. Because if he had uttered a word, it would have meant destruction for all of us. And the Bible tells us that as he died on that death, as the blood of the creator dripped down onto his own creation, that Jesus Christ was throwing down principalities and powers. He was taking disobedience and sin and breaking its back. And he was having victory, even though it looked like complete and utter destruction. And here's the amazing part. Jesus Christ, who is our king, who is our Lord, who is our life, the one who gives us life, the one who makes our heart beat, the one that by his word fills our lungs with breath, really did die for us. God himself died and went into a tomb. And then three days later, something amazing happens. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. At the end of Luke, we have another proclamation by angels. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. This is to anoint Jesus' body. And they found the stone rolled away from his grave and from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Excuse me. And they remembered his words, and returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale, for they did not believe them. But Peter, he rose and he ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. On this day of the week, a resurrection takes place. 
And this resurrection is the excellencies of all that God had prepared and everything that he had said, because Jesus Christ, if he had just died and stayed dead, would be like any other person. A lot of people have died. A lot of people have taken punishments and died traitors' deaths. But Jesus took the full wrath of God that was poured out on his own son to break free our bondage from sin. But that wasn't just the end of the story because God himself rose to life again, conquering death, conquering sin. And Jesus Christ, in the marvelous, wonderful nature of all that he's done, has brought us life and life eternal because Jesus Christ is our advocate. Jesus Christ is our guarantee. He's our sacrifice. But it's not just that he died for us. It's that he lives now and can speak for you. Because the same one who could call down myriads of angels and destroy the whole earth if he wanted to is the same one who in heaven stands up and says, you are my child. And if he speaks your name, there is no power in heaven or earth or hell or anything else that can take you from his grasp because he is the king of kings. Jesus Christ, live now, is our guarantee of life. The Bible tells us that if we believe in Jesus, in Jesus, that if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. What will we be saved from? We'll be saved from our own imperfection. We'll be saved from our own lack of holiness. We'll be saved from all the, the sin and stains upon us and things that separated us from God. Because Jesus paid the wrath, all the penalty for that wrath, all the death that we had incurred, he took upon himself. And now the Bible tells us that just as he took all of that junk and put it on himself, now instead he takes his perfect record of righteousness, his unblemishedness, and wraps us in those robes of righteousness. Did you know that the Bible says that when God looks on you, if you are in Jesus Christ, he doesn't see all your mistakes. He doesn't see your sin anymore. All he sees is the perfect pleasure of his own son. Think about when you're a child or a grandchild. I can't, I can't imagine having a grandchild might be the best experience ever. Having a baby, amazing. But holding a grandchild, and you're like, I don't have to change these diapers. <laughs> but holding a grandchild, but you see the faithfulness of God from another generation? I can imagine that's got to be a moment beyond anything else. And what do you think that moment you have first hold that baby? I'll do anything. I'll do anything for this baby. And that's the love, the pleasure of God. Blessed peace on earth with men with whom he is pleased. How do you know if God is pleased with you? If you're not in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you right now, if you don't believe in him, if you haven't bowed your knee to him, if your life doesn't reflect him, I'm telling you the truth from the Bible, you are at odds with God. You're a traitor. You are his enemy. And he gives us nice things. He takes care of us. The rain falls. The crops grow. Praise God. But I'm telling you from the Bible, you're either his or you're outside. If you believe in Jesus, though, that pleasure of God, men with whom he is pleased, his sons, his daughters, he holds you not in your own merit of things that you have earned, but because Christ earned it for you, it was put on you to be holy as he is holy. And now you are his. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better in life than his love. 
There's nothing better in life than knowing that he is our king. Here's a litmus test for you. If you're driving down the road and it's raining out and you start to skid, and the first thing you think is, I got this. The first thing you think is, I can overcome this. Check your heart. If you're driving the road, and I'm saying this metaphorically, right? I'm talking about life. If you're in life and you're going and suddenly you have no traction and you don't know what's going on, and the first thing you think is, I got it. You need to check. You need to check who you're serving. But if you're driving down the road in life and you start to skid out and the first thing you do is cry out to Jesus because he has the power to make armies blind. He has the power to raise dead things to life. He has the power to make us see. He has the power to make us his. He has the power to make us holy. And the very first thing that comes out of our mouth is, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. If that's it, that's the litmus test of our heart. And when things are going great in life, if you look back at it and you look at everything you've built and say, I'm a big deal. I'm doing, I'm doing really good. People should look up to me. I should start a, a, probably a podcast. I can tell people, this is what you should do. If that's your first thought instead of, Lord, it's, all, it's yours. I'm yours. Everything I have is because of you. I look at this and I say, Lord, I tried hard. I worked hard in the daily grind, but you are so much more faithful than me. I brought you three fish and a loaf of bread, and Lord, you made baskets full. Amen. And I can't even, I can't even imagine, I can't even fathom all the greatness of what you have done. If the first thing you think is, you know, Jesus, he's a pretty good guy, he's a good teacher. If I follow him, I'll probably have a good deal. Instead of, Lord, you are the resurrected King of Kings. You're over all things. Your holiness far exceeds everything I can think of. When I read your Bible, it's like I'm, I'm standing over the deepest canyon and I can't even see the bottom of your love, of your grace, of your majesty. And when I think about your kingdom, when I think about your throne, it's overwhelming to me. And all I want to do is worship you because I know I was created to worship you. You know, the Bible tells us that all of creation is groaning, groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. If there's a groaning in you instead of a deep satisfaction that you know him, his salvation through his death and resurrection, then today stop groaning. Come instead and cling to his feet like we read from Michaela. The ladies in the road, when they saw him, they bowed down before him and grabbed onto his feet. Grab onto Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I believe in you, I trust you, I abandon all these other things that I might follow you and you alone. And I'm telling you, you will know God's salvation if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, you will be saved. I was in a, can I ask the musicians to come up, please? I was in a concert years ago, like 2001, it was a long time ago. And I was in college and um, I went to this concert, and it was a Christian concert, and the band had played, and they did a great job, and they had started talking about the gospel. And um, they had been sponsored, I guess, by these churches, so they had people in the back of the room from the churches, and they said, listen, if you believe in Jesus, and you today want to say, I need Jesus, then I'm asking you to do something real bold. I'm asking you to stand up and go to the back of the room, and there's people there to pray with you. And so one kid, one kid stood up from the front row and started marching his way to the back of the room. And he just 
And, and it was, you know, he's like a college kid, and everybody's looking at him, his friends are in the front, like, where are you going? And he's just, I got to go. And I prayed, I said, Lord, what does it look like in heaven? In the things in the physical realm, the things that we normally see, here's a kid going to the back. What does it look like in the way that you see? Open my eyes. And I'm telling you, you can believe it or not, I'm telling you I saw it. And I saw the Lord's throne, and I saw the angels of God bowing down. And I thought it would be a celebration. I thought it would be the greatest party ever, that when one person gets saved, everyone celebrates. And that's true, that does happen. But in the moment of salvation, the angels bow to him because he's the king of kings. Is your God raised from the dead? Is your God immortal? Is your God one who has conquered death, conquered sin, conquered the grave? Is he the one to whom angels bow? Is he the one to whom, if with one word, he can make blindness or make you see? Is he the one that if you call his name, he will rescue you? Surely Jesus will rescue us. If you don't know him today, if you don't know Jesus, I'm asking you to be bold. While we play this song, come down to the front and let us pray with you. And say, Lord, I want to know you. What it looks like is this. Everything we have is his. And you say, Lord, I trust you with my life more than I trust me. But I'm telling you, his hands are so much stronger than ours. If maybe it's been a long time, you know him, but it's been years and you've been wandering around. Today's the day to say, Lord, I'm yours. I trust you. Open my eyes. And I'm telling you by the Holy Spirit's power, he will open your eyes to see things that you did not realize were there. And that he's been carrying you all these years while you thought you were doing it. It's usually how it works, isn't it? I'm doing pretty good. And then we realize he carried us along. So let's all stand together. Let's worship Jesus.